Andre Dawson, Hall of Famer from the Chicago Cubs, and you're listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast featuring everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Manaman. This is the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. I am Coach Manaman. Thank you for listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. For the latest news and notes and baseball content from the tri-state area, find us on social media, Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and at Coach Manaman on Twitter. Welcome back to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. As always, this is everybody's favorite coach, Coach Manaman. And today's episode is one of our most requested guests. After a year or so of trying to connect, I was finally able to connect with our next guest. He has ties to the Loris Duhawk baseball program, serving as an assistant coach under Carl Tebon mainly working with the infielders, and he's got a lot of ties to the Dubuque Community School District and the Hempstead Mustangs. He is the Hempstead Mustangs varsity football defensive coordinator. He is also Coach Jeff Rapp's right-hand man and his varsity assistant for the Hempstead Mustang baseball program. If you're still wondering who is on, it is none other than Coach Donnie Perkle. Coach Perkle, welcome to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Coach Manaman, I appreciate you having me on. It has been a long time we've been trying to do this. Coach Perkle and I, we have two young children. We live a block away from each other, and we are doing this virtually over Microsoft Teams. But we're going to plug it out. We're going to have a great episode for you. Coach I'm going to start off with some audience questions, if that's okay. And the first one comes from your sister-in-law, fan of the podcast, Ricka Mann. And she's wondering if you could have dinner with any current professional athlete, who would you have dinner with and why? So my response is someone involved in athletics, not current player, um, but none other than Dion Primetime Sanders. Um, he was my favorite athlete growing up, um, professional athlete in the game of baseball and football, and I would just love to have a conversation as to what that was like. Um, a close second or a second name that popped into my head was also David Ross, who was the manager of my favorite baseball team, um, the Chicago Cubs. He was a member of the World Series team, and i just like to get some background as to how that celebration went down, um, you know, how tough of conversations it was with Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez when they kind of sold off the old core and get his prospects and opinion as to how the squad's looking moving forward. And all those guys currently are in the news. Uh, Dion just recently signed with the Colorado Buffaloes and making news because he's bringing his own luggage So, and then you think of the Chicago Cubs and they got rid of that core and a lot of fans were upset with that, but a lot of those guys have struggled since leaving the Chicago Cubs. Next question is something that you just hinted on there. And it also comes from your sister-in-law, Rick, a man and former student of mine, one of my favorites, Andrew Tharp, bulldog on the mound, great kid in the classroom. 
They want to know if you were the general manager of the Chicago Cubs, what would be the first move that you would make as GM? And do you think you will see another Cubs World Series in your lifetime? So the first thing that I would have done, and it sounds like Jed Hoyer already got the permission to do so, but that was would be to walk into Tom Ricketts' office and demand that they start spending some money acting like a big market first-class organization that they ought to be. Um, my first move then in terms of transactions would be to approach Carlos Correa with a six-year contract and tell him to name his price. Um, and then this, to answer the second part of your question, Coach Manaman, I do believe that the Chicago Cubs will win another World Series in my lifetime. I truly believe that. That's just not being a meathead Cub fan. I I think it's going to happen. I love going to Cubs games. Not a Cubs fan, Oakland A's fan, but whether it's the Cubs or the White Sox or the Brewers, I love going and watching professional baseball, and there's no atmosphere like Wrigley Field. I miss the days when they sucked. And my buddies and I could get a $20 ticket on StubHub to go watch them play the Pittsburgh Pirates. But now, whether they're good or they're bad, it's still going to cost you about 95 bucks to get into those bleachers, unless it's April or May and you're going to freeze your cojones off. But that's a different story. Jeremy Rundy, Coach Rapp's brother-in-law, wants to know, you are a huge Chicago sports fan. We know the Cubs, I'm assuming the Chicago Bears, Hempstead got their colors when the school opened up based around the Green Bay Packers. He wants to know, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being, oh my gosh, this is terrible, and 10 being, it's not that bad, what does it feel like having to suit up in your rival's colors every single day? Well, if you were to ask me this question on Monday after the Packers beat the Bears again, um, I would probably respond with a one being pretty angry. Um, but in all seriousness, I do find humor in this question. You know, nine or 10 years ago, when I first started at Hempstead, my buddies would ask me how everything's going, how I like Hempstead and yada, yada, yada. And at the time, the only negative thing I had to say jokingly was that our colors are green and gold, the Packers colors. So after nine years or 10 years and, accumulating a closet full of green and gold. I've gotten over it, so I'm going to go with a 10. I'm surprised to hear that answer. You know, I, I think of my paths as coaching, and, you know, I coached at Wallard and Hempstead and Western Dubuque, and, I mean, the colors are one thing. I think I look better in red than any other color I've ever worn, but whether wherever we're coaching, we're still coming with the same type of enthusiasm, preaching the same message, no matter who um, or what third base coach's box we're on. Now, this one, I'm kind of curious because I'm sure there's a good backstory to it. And I'm, I, I'm not sure when I get these audience questions, sometimes I think they might um, be a little on the naughty or R-rated side. So I'm curious asking this one where it's going to go. Dylan Pardo from Loris College. He wants to know if you are more of a turf dog or more of a dirt dog type of guy. Answer that question well, I, and then do some explaining for us. Sure. Well, I can start by promising that there's nothing naughty or R-rated about that question. <laughs> um, me personally, I'm a dirt dog kind of a guy. Um, I, you know, Growing up, I played infield. 
And I always played with the mindset that if my mom or the equipment manager, equipment room manager at Loris College didn't have to clean my jersey after each and every game that I didn't play hard enough. Um, Growing up or even my collegiate career, I wasn't as privileged as some of these kids are now having the opportunity to play on turf fields with the routine hops and only having to worry about getting the rubber pellets out of my belt. Um, But it's kind of the background of that story. So after every game uh, at Loris, I meet with the entire infield group that is dressed or travels and just kind of have a quick discussion about the game. Um, And we break down on, you know, if we play on a, 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 the grass and dirt field, we break it down on dirt dogs. And if, if it's a turf infield, then we're turf dogs for the day and we break it down on turf dogs. There are turf complexes popping up all over the state, all over the country. Do you think we'll ever see that in Dubuque? Do you think the Dubuque Community School District will uh, maybe have one complex where we play at them? Senior KCRG did an article a couple years ago on how it's one of the worst baseball fields in the state of Iowa. Hempstead um, plays really well. Coach Rapp and his staff put a lot of work into that field, and people around the conference love playing on that field. But what do you think, 10, 15, 20 years, five years down the line, do you think we'll see a nice turf complex in Dubuque County? I think eventually we will see one. I don't think it's going to happen in the near future but if we're talking 15 20 years down the road i i just think over the long haul it's more cost efficient and i think that our our kids you know in this town and these schools deserve to have the facilities that are popping up across the state so i think just to keep up with the arms race that yeah i think we will have a turf complex what's your very first memory about baseball and when do you think you fell in love with the game of baseball so i've been around baseball my entire life um my father was a high school coach when i was young he was the varsity coach at marion catholic in chicago heights illinois so my earliest memories um are going to his game serving as his bat boy wearing the helmet sitting in his dugout um at his practices catching up the fungo hitters if they're uh, if you're asking for a specific memory you know i remember being you know five years old six years old um, running around in the yard at home and he would throw me ground balls and every time um i would make contact with the ball he would start counting to three so you know i'd pick the ball up and i'd throw it before three and we'd play like a little game out of it um and then i also remember a time we were working on drop step fly balls in the driveway and I was taught from a young age you never take your eye off the ball so he threw me a couple of routine ones and I asked him for a tough one that took me down the driveway across the street and ended up going face first into the mailbox um so you know I, th- I think we had different expectations for what a tough fly ball meant You know, I love that. You're a young kid and your dad is teaching drop step fly balls. I mean, that is definitely the son father relationship of a baseball coach and a son there. Now you alluded to it a little earlier in the podcast that you were an infielder, but I know a lot about all of the coaches in the area 
kind of how they were as players growing up just through stories and talking with them or coaching them or even then seeing them play myself. Now you said that you were from the Chicago land area. So what type of player were you growing up? You shared you were a dirt dog, but what positions did you play? Where would the coach might stick you in the order? And um, what, uh, what type of player were you in, in high school? And did that change when you uh, jumped Dolores College in the college ranks? Um, so I attended Lincoln Way East High School, which is in Frankfort, Illinois. I was a three-year varsity starter. Um, a lot of talent in the grade above and below me. So my sophomore year, my first year playing varsity, I played shortstop, a little bit of third base, and I pitched. Um my junior and senior year, um, a guy in the class below me by the name of Dean Anna, he ended up cracking the New York Yankees opening day roster back in like, I don't know, it might have been 2013. Um, so I moved over to third base so he could man short. Um, and like I said, I pitched a little bit. Now, my senior year, every, posi- every position player started that started um, played college baseball. So I hit anywhere in the lineup from the five spot to seventh, depending on what the lineup looked like. Um, you know, I was, I've always been more of what I call like a line drive down type of hitter. You know, I, I'm, right now I'm a bigger guy. Um, so, you, you know, if someone looks at me and they say, you know, you, you hit third or fourth in college, you probably hit a lot of home runs. Well, I can tell you that I hit two in my career. And I jokingly would say, you know, I was a leadoff hitter stuck in this body. Um, I like to see pitches, work counts. I took my walks. And I was my, – my goal every at-bat was to hit the pitcher in the forehead with a line drive. So, you know, on occasion, I'd pop ball out my freshman year, hit another one against UD my senior year. And, yeah. What, what a great team in that Dubuque, that key city rivalry to have one of your two home runs come against the University of Dubuque Spartans. What ultimately brought you to Dubuque? And then the question that I'm really looking forward to hearing you answer is, is what kept you in Dubuque? When I was going through my college search, I had every intention and ambition of being a Division One baseball or football player. Um. You know, in the fall after my senior season, when I realized that I probably wasn't going to get a Division One scholarship for either sport, I was kind of set on looking at colleges that would give me an opportunity to do both. So I had some Division Two and NAI, NAI scholarships for baseball and football, but never from the same school for both. So I wanted to stay within four hours. You know, we... My dad helped me. We researched um, colleges' rosters and kind of narrowed things down for my visits. And once I visited Loris, I just immediately knew that that's where I wanted to be. Um, so I loved Loris so much. It took me five years to graduate. After I graduated, I moved back home um, to pursue a career in education and coaching. I found the coaching job without much of an issue, um, but I had a really hard time finding a teaching job in the Chicago suburbs. So after a couple of years of substitute teaching, um, I realized that, you know, that wasn't sustainable for the type of life that I wanted to live. And I wanted to stay in education. So I decided to relocate to Dubuque. Um, and kind of here we are now, you know, since I moved here and I'm settled and 
about my beautiful wife and have her daughter. Like I have absolutely no interest in returning to the Chicagoland. Um, nor do I think I, if I wanted to, that I could get my wife to leave. You know, as I mentioned, she's from Dubuque. She graduated from Hempstead and I don't think I could get her to leave. So <laughs> you mentioned when you got to Loris, you just kind of knew what was it about Loris that you just knew that was your spot when you stepped on campus? It was, it was just the people. Um, Loris has a lot of Chicago suburbs students that go there, so I had a lot of similarities. Um, I love the coaches. I absolutely, once I met and started talking to Coach T-Bond, you can't help but fall in love with the guy. Um, so he, I knew that you know they offered, I wanted to get an education. They had a good teaching program. They offered, you know, with their rosters, I would have had an opportunity to get early playing time in both baseball and football. And yeah, just I, I just I just loved every second of it. What year did you graduate from Loris? I graduated in 2009. Isn't it crazy that in 2009 you couldn't find a teaching job? I bet if you went to the Chicago suburbs right now, you could find a teaching job at multiple schools just like that. Mm-hmm. It's well, I got my undergrad in social studies. So at the time, if you were a social studies or PE teacher, I mean, good luck. Um, and then, <laughs> but I told my dad I, I was teetering between math and social studies, and I told him that I was going to go the social studies route. He told me that I would want to give that a second thought, and I didn't listen to him, and I <laughs> spent the first three or four years of my post-college life unemployed working part-time substitute teaching and (laughs) it's been quite the journey (laughs) it's interesting because i i had those same aspirations of being a social studies teacher and my college advisor said nick they're cutting those positions all across dubuque and all across the state of iowa do elementary education get in and then transfer after three years. And and I did that. I got hired right away, taught third grade. It actually took me nine years to get out of an elementary setting. So it was that difficult to get into middle school, but glad that you uh, made your return trip to Dubuque because the kids, um, whether it's in an educational setting or in an athletic type setting are, are very fortunate to have, have you around. Let's take a look back at your career as a player and as a coach at Loris, what would be some of your greatest memories that still stand out to you today as a Dewhawk? Um, you know, when I, the first thing that, that pops into my mind um, are just some of the relationships that at the time I was able to develop that I still carry today. I kind of alluded to the impact that Coach Tibon has made um, in my life. He's been a huge mentor for me. Um, my teammates were also my roommates in college. Some of my best friends were still super close. Watching our families grow and having children of their own, like it's just been otherworldly. Um, but in terms of baseball-specific memories, our spring trips to Florida stand out. I mean, there's nothing better than being down in the beautiful Florida sun with your best buddies, having to worry about absolutely nothing other than playing baseball. I mean, I don't know if life gets any better than that. Um, I guess personally and more specifically, 
probably the, the thing that stands out the most would have been the conference tournament my senior year. We entered the tournament as the five seed. We played, uh, let's see, we played seven games in three days. We played, we fell one game short of making the regional. Uh, and that's something that Loris has never done. And personally, kind of, you know, with playing all that baseball, with being the last weekend of my career, it was also the best weekend that I personally put together. Um, I had nine consecutive at-bats where I got a hit, which included going five for five against Coe, which tied the Loris record for most hits in a game. So at the time, you know, I'm playing. I didn't didn't have any idea what the records were at Loris. And I remember we're, we're pounding Coe. And I'm on deck or in the hole, and I'm kind of on the edge of the dugout, and I look at Corey Tischer, who was my infield coach when I played, and I looked at him, and it's like, do we want to start getting some of these other guys at bats? And Corey's like, yeah, after you're at bat, we will. So he knew that I was a hit shy of tying the record. He wanted to give me that opportunity, which I was lucky enough to get. Um, so I'm, I'm appreciative of that, Tish. I don't think I've ever told you that, so if you listen to this, just know that I'm very thankful for that opportunity, buddy. Um, but then as, as a coach at Loris, I would say the best memory is definitely beating the university of Iowa last year. I mean, a D three school beating a D one school, like that's unheard of. It's like David beating Goliath. Um, last season as a whole was extremely memorable. I mean, we won like 30 something games. We were very successful. Um, Another memory that I have was my first year coaching at Loris. We took a trip down to the Dominican Republic. Um, we played, I think, five games against their professional teams down there, and they were composed of former professional players that either never made it off the island or had a short stint in the States but weren't able to progress their careers after that. Um, so aside from being down there coaching games, there's a service component to the trip as well. We got to do things like visit. We visited like an orphanage, and we hung out with some um, some young kids. We played soccer. We played baseball. Had a home run derby. We were taking pictures with them on our phones, like just busting an iPhone out at the time and an island. Like these kids never got to see that. So it just kind of put a lot of things in perspective. And probably the thing that I am most grateful for from that trip is um, they have like the street vendors, and one of the parents bought a purple and gold necklace that's woven. My last name's woven into it and it's held together with Dominican flag. So I actually, to this day, still have it hanging on my rear view mirror in my car. So every time I get out of my car, I get to school or to the practice field, you know, as I just take a look at that and it's just a reminder uh, to be appreciative of every opportunity that I got and everything that I have in my life that's going for me because things could always be worse. Great story, and Tish is an avid listener of the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast, so I can't wait to get a text. He texts me quite a bit after he listens to an episode, giving me either positive feedback or constructive criticism as well. Now, let's talk about your, uh, you know, I want to go back to that University of Iowa game. So that was crazy. I remember knowing you guys were playing them, and I checked Twitter and I like saw the score and it was either two to one or three to one. And it was Loris. I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And I could not stop refreshing my Twitter feed just to see the next out or just to see the next hit and just to see what the final score was. And then after the game was over, 
Um, I'm fairly friendly with uh, some people in the University of Iowa baseball program, and I sent them a text, and I said, hey, did you guys, like, start your JV team, or, or what happened tonight? And he said, you know, baseball is a funny sport. We played our best guys, and they hit the ball well and made zero mistakes, we made a couple mistakes, and every single time we hit the ball, it was right at somebody. They flat out beat our nine best guys, which was crazy to hear. And that story made national news, which was awesome to hear that as well. Now, looking at your coaching career at the high school level, you're currently coaching varsity football and varsity baseball for the Hempstead Mustangs. What is the biggest difference from coaching college and coaching high school kids? So the obvious answer to that question is the talent um, at the college level, the knowledge and what they've been taught up to that point, and then the speed of the game. Um, I think, you know, at Loris, all, every, every guy at practice or involved in the program is recruited to be there. And so you're you're two or three deep at every position. So you know the the structure at practice um, is competitive. There's pressure, and you better you better bring it because if you don't produce or you don't practice well, there's someone breathing down your neck. Um, at at Hempstead or at the high school level, unless you play basketball in this town, nobody's being recruited you know, to attend these different schools. You work with the talent that's walking through your hallways. Obviously, the ultimate goal of every competition is to win. Um, you know, but the college coaches, it's their livelihood. It's it's literally their life, and they're putting a lot of trust into the guys that they're bringing into the program. Whereas at, at the high school level, there's a component to making the, the experience more about your student-athletes and creating a positive experience for them. I hear this quite often, and it's it's kind of a mindset, and, and I'd like to just hear your advice or pick your brain on it. Uh, you know, he's only going to play at Loris, or, you know, he's he's just going to go play D3. Well, you know, D, D3's kind of a joke. They, they, take, they take anybody. So talk up Division three baseball for those kids that want to play at the next level, but they're fringe players or or they don't want to play division three because you know it's uh, it's just it's just division three but they'll go sit the bench at a d1 or a d2 where they could go get some real playing time and make some great memories at a division three school yeah i mean i tell our guys at hempstead you know when you're looking at colleges the fun's playing if you're if you have aspirations to try to play professional baseball there's guys at the Division three level. There's guys getting drafted out of NAI. If you're good enough, they will find you. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the, uh, the competition level and the overall talent, um, like at Loris, if you're not throwing at least 80 miles an hour as a right-handed pitcher, like you're probably not getting recruited very hard. Because, I mean, those guys, you know, I think back to when I played in the early 2000s, if – if we had three guys on our team throwing 80, like we were excited. I just think the game has evolved so much and it's almost becoming a science where if you're not throwing 
this hard or you're not running this fast, you're not going to have an opportunity to play at any level of college baseball. What's your preference to coach at high school or college if you had to pick one and only one? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, I'm going to preface this by saying I do really enjoy coaching at both levels. I mean, I love baseball. Um, you know, college players are, I think they're more internally motivated. Um, and there's a little bit less of a social component to it, to it versus high school where some guys might just be out because their buddies are playing. Um, it's more laid back. Um, so if I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to say I enjoy coaching at the college level more. Um, I mean, part of my thought process with that is the college seasons in the spring. I know some, some guys around here that know me, I, I'm not a huge fan of summer baseball. I think summer baseball should be spent or not summer baseball, but summer in general should be spent, um, working on yourself. So if you know if you're talented and you have aspirations to go play your travel ball in the summer, if you want to spend the summer in the weight room, go go lift weights, go do your basketball shootouts, go lift for football, go to seven on sevens. I just think that the state of Iowa is doing a disservice to your multi-sport athletes by locking them up for an entire summer, where that's going to be the biggest time period where you can marginalize your gains. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. That's growing up in the Chicago suburbs. I just think it's odd that the state of Iowa is the only state in the country that has a sanctioned high school sport in the summer. I can't wait to get the feedback on your response to that one. But I, I'm going to also say that I agree with you on the college level because I know I'm a baseball guy. I know you're a baseball guy. And if Loris College came to you or if Clark University came to me and said, hey, Nick, we're going to pay you what you make for the Dubuque Community School District, and all you have to do is coach baseball throughout the year. And you might have to teach one or two classes here and there. I think we would all jump at that opportunity because that that is their job where, you know, you and I, when we're coaching baseball at the high school level, our teaching is our primary job and then – our secondary job is at the coaching level, which some parents may not agree with or some people, but that's just that's just kind of how it is and how you have to prioritize things. Did I ever not give coaching my best effort? No, I always gave coaching my best effort, and I know you did, did that as well. Now, same questions, but let's talk about the sports. What about football and baseball? Besides the obvious and the difference in sports, what are the biggest similarities and differences in coaching football compared to coaching baseball? Well, I think coaching in general is just knowing your team and doing your best to put them in a position a, a position to be successful. Um, you know, I just think about the game planning component of football versus baseball. Um and, and during the baseball season, there's such a quick turnaround between your games where you're playing anywhere from four to eight games in a five-day window. Um, you know, once the school year ends, you have more game dates than you do practice dates. So I just feel 
I feel like baseball is just kind of rushed, and once you start playing, it's just you better have a productive 10 days of practice before the season starts because the games are coming fast and furious. Um, whereas football, it's there's a lot more structure and, and routine to it. Um, you know, you play majority of your games on Friday night. You get your four practices. Um, you know, me focusing on the defensive side of the ball, you know, there's a lot of film with formations, picking up down and distance tendencies. Um, you know, Huddle's my best friend in the fall where it kind of breaks everything down for you. But I just think, you know, with football, you have nine games on your schedule versus 40 for baseball. So it's just a, it's just a different, I don't know, they're just a, it's a, there's a, the football coach Perkle and the baseball coach Perkle. And depending on what these guys are more passionate about is, typically the the coach that they like more. <laughs> what is your position at Hempstead? Are you the offensive or the defensive coordinator? I'm the defensive coordinator. And we- some and some some weeks I don't like to admit that. <laughs> um but yeah, I've been calling the defense now for I think five or six years. Were you a defensive player in high school and college? I was not. I actually played um tight end and receiver in high school. And then at Loris, I played tight end. So, you know, if I was, if I got to play kind of some of these modern offenses, I would have been kind of your prototypical H back, maybe a little bit on the shorter, shorter end, but that's definitely where I would have played. This is always a great question. It's always a, a fan question as well. They always want to hear this from every guest reflecting on your time coaching football and baseball at Hempstead. What would be your memories that still hold a special place in your heart today? And why are those memories still special to you today? Um, you know, I feel that our, my most important job as a coach is to make these guys better men. Um, and along with that, everyone that is involved with sports is usually goal-oriented. Goal um, so assisting the best way that I know how to help them reach their individual and team goals um, is probably the thing that stands out most. You know, at Hempstead, these last couple years, we've been pretty privileged with some of the athletes we've had the opportunity to coach. Um, A lot of them have had opportunities to continue their athletic careers beyond high school. So seeing the joy and pride that those guys have when they're sitting at the table signing their letters of intent. I mean, that just kind of, that's kind of like, you know, as a coach, your why, like that's why you do it to see those smiles and them create those type of opportunities for themselves after high school. Um, you know, it's very rewarding. And then, you know, specific memories, you know, I just, with success, I think more memories are created so I think I won two conference championships coaching sophomore baseball, won one coaching sophomore football, and then these last, I think two of the last three years with varsity at Hempstead for baseball with our trips to Des Moines and then Iowa City, like that's just a different ball game and it's intense and it's awesome. It's what you coach for. At some point, Coach Horner, Hempstead varsity coach, Coach Deutsch, 
former Hempstead Mustang pitching coach and former varsity basketball coach, and myself, yours truly, and a lot of others around Dubuque coach multiple sports, multiple varsity sports for many years. It seems at some point, you know, something has to go. You have a young one I see around the neighborhood. I have a flock running around the neighborhood. <laughs> at some point, it seems like every coach gives one up or gives everything up. If Ari right now said, you know, Donnie, I don't know if she calls you Donnie or coach around the house, but this is just way too much time. You know, you can coach one varsity sport. Which one do you think is is going to get the nod, or is it is it going to be a coin flip, or is it going to look at the fifth through seniors coming through Hempstead to see what program's going to be more successful? What 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 is it? Well, before I answer that question, if I'm getting called Coach or Donnie around the house, I'm doing something right. <laughs> um, oh, but that I mean that's a that's a tough one. You know, I. I do agree that at some point something's going to have to give because it is a lot of time away from my family. Um, you know, family will always come first for me. It's a conversation that Ari and I will probably have to have sooner rather than later. Um, I don't want to make this sound like a cop-out, but I don't have an answer to that question as of right now. I'm glad that you addressed it because the easy thing to would would have been would have contacted me before the interview or before we started recording and said, "Hey Nick, that question about picking one, I'm just not going to talk about it." So, but you know, you're you're right. And one of my main reasons for giving up baseball is there were so many things that I wanted to do during life that I could only do during the summer. And I had to give up baseball because I wanted to go to the College World Series. I wanted to go to Boston. I wanted to travel. And I wanted to do all of these things. And being an educator and only getting two days off a year that I can use for personal use, it was impossible to take a vacation during the school year. And maybe football gets gets the nod because... You're going to be able to do that traveling during the summer. I can see you and your family uh, going on a road trip with the Cubbies and following them <laughs> from state to state, stadium to stadium. We do have one last question before we hit into that podcast-killing double play. I would like to thank Coach Donnie Perkle for taking 40 or so minutes out of his night to uh, talk baseball, talk football, talk Loris, talk Hempstead, and talk the area as well. But it is an audience question. Comes from a former student of mine, very good player up at Hempstead. I ump a couple of his games. Cole Shiel was wondering, what are your thoughts on the future of Hempstead baseball? Now I threw in this part. Coach Rap is getting old. Who knows how much longer he's going to be coaching? Could you see yourself being named the fourth? head varsity baseball coach in Hempstead history when he decides to step away. Is that something that interests you, being a head varsity baseball coach at Hempstead? Um, it, I mean, when I after I graduated from Loris, uh, my goal was to be a head varsity baseball coach. Um, 
I didn't envision myself settling in the state of Iowa. I thought I was going to be a Chicago boy through and through. Um, so, I mean, it would be a great honor to follow in the footsteps of Coach Core, Coach Witchery, and obviously Coach Rapp. Um, you know, I think I, I would consider myself someone that's pretty process-oriented, and I would respect the process and let it play out however it might. I will say that if I were to throw my hat in the ringer that, you know, I, I would have to sit down and I would have to be all in because if I wasn't all in, I wouldn't um, pursue it and I would be doing the student athletes of Hempstead a disservice. Um, but I would, you know, I think there's the change of the middle schools. You know, I in Dubuque here, I would, I would like to know kind of what that looks like and how that's going to affect open enrollment. Um, and then we kind of talked about the turf complex in the city of Dubuque. I mean, let's face it, the two worst fields in the MVC are located in this town. Um, so I, I, w- I would want a commitment from the district um, to kind of keep up with the arms race. I mean, there's a lot of talent. I mean, we've made it to state two of the last three years um, with, in my opinion, subpar facilities. You know, I don't even you look at what the Des Moines area schools have versus what we have. I mean, schools in, in, in Davenport have their own indoor hitting facilities. You know, here in Dubuque, we don't have anything that's free of cost that's accessible to every single athlete in our program. Um, so I'll, I, I, I would like a commitment in that regard. Um, but back to the first part of your question about you know, the, the future of Hempstead baseball. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to coach one of the freshman games. In fact, Cole was on that team and it was one of the most fun days that I had. I mean, there were 14 young men that wanted to be a sponge and learn everything they possibly could in 10 innings of baseball. Um, I would say that our freshman class and our sophomore class and heck our junior and senior class as well. I mean, there's a lot of talent at Hempstead right now and with work and their maturation process are only going to get better. Um, so I think, you know, the short term future of Hempstead, it's, it's looking pretty bright. So I'm excited to continue working with our student athletes and make another trip to state and hopefully win the dang thing. Best of luck to you, the Hempstead Mustangs, on the upcoming 2023 season. 6-4-3. We're out of here. Post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Thank you for listening to the Dubuque Area Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to stop by Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star review and also subscribe on Spotify.